everybody. Welcome to Pivot and Thrive. Today is Wednesday, September 2nd, and we are in the third episode of Season 1. And today I have a guest who's really special to me. He has been coaching me for my career, and he is a career coach. His name is Dick Blue, and Dick Blue, I'd like to welcome you to Pivot and Thrive. Well, it's great to be here. I could hardly wait. Thank you. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your background. You have a really cool upbringing and family. I was wondering if you could tell us about that. Well, one of the best ways to start is, let's start at the very beginning, a very fine place to start. That suggests that I also am a singer. I've spent a lot of my life starting to sing with my family, and I was the 15th of 15 children. My mother and father were just extraordinary people. My mother was able to get through just four years of her education before she left school. She was age nine, went to work at the shoe factory in Lawrence, Massachusetts. My father got through six years of education and he went to work at a garage and was an automobile mechanic all his entire life. But when they came together, there were 13 children, seven from his family and six from my mother's family. They were both married and had uh, unfortunately lost their spouses. And my mother and father were able to bring together those 13 children and there were two more added. Part of the family were the Lamours. She married Romeo Lamour, mm. who, who didn't last very long, unfortunately. Mm. And uh, she had wonderful children. They were raised in the Catholic Church because the Lamours were French, and mm. that's what they would do. When she married my father, James Blue, he had the six children and was once married, as I mentioned, to her sister. Oh, wow. (laughs) Keeping in the family. (laughs) That sounds wrong, but there's nothing wrong with him marrying the sister of his first wife because people were doing that at that time. There were were 13 children, and they, they together made a very, very conscious decision that Dealing with 13 children was better than two people trying to deal separately with their clan. And I don't think I ever knew a more loving couple. I recall them sitting in the the living room watching on a seven-inch helicopter TV. This was was a long time ago. Okay. and they're sitting together and they hand with each other's hands. Oh. Just extraordinary, extraordinary happy people. We used to go out every Saturday, my sister and I. My older sister is just 13 months old, older than me. But she and I would go with my mom and dad out on every sad Sunday to drive. Drive somewhere in the automobile and we sang the whole time that we were out there. My mother was extraordinary at putting 
putting music together and giving giving it the, the opportunity to have something other than just the actual phrasing or the actual notes because she was able to harmonize. And harmonizing is not simple, but I just had it in my ear from the very, very early age. So I just learned how to do that. And it's one of those things that I really found very, very nice. My mom and dad also taught me, before I say that, my I didn't really get to know my older brothers and sisters very well, you can imagine. I was born in 38, and they started coming along sometime around 7 or 8. <laughs> oh, wow. That's, yeah, that's an, that's an age gap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but, and they were, they were born, I was born in 38. The war started, the Second World War started in, uh, in 39, 40, depends upon where you are, but they were, that was when it was beginning. My, my brothers, Everett and James and Francis, all got into the military. As a matter of fact, Francis, when it was 16 years old, he was 16 years old, he enlisted in the Marines. Oh, my gosh. He spent his time in, at Guam and Iwo Jima, which are the two very, very hot spots. Yeah. Anyhow, Jimmy was in North Africa, and Everett was in, in a combat engineer group. Um, they, they were everywhere, wherever say, was, something was needed. N- none of them came back unvarnished. Each had their, their problems associated with being in a war. Mm. We, so you know, we send people off to war in, a, in this country. It's like... Oh, they'll be fine when they come back. I never saw that happen. That's when they were not, so young, was, too. Yeah, well, I was, when Sad. I was very young during this time, and I was thinking, hey, I don't have any brothers, but I, I'm supposed to have brothers. Oh, that's <laughs> and, sad. Anyhow, it was all right. Well, and you told me, too, that we didn't talk about there was no such thing as ptsd right. recognition at that time so right. when you came back you were how you were and that was yeah it there was no treatment plan or program that they could enter to no. start healing yeah. no they weren't able to do that and as a consequence of that they 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 had very difficult lives mm. and uh and as a as a son, I was trying to build a relationship with them, mm. but it was very difficult to do. Yeah. So I've learned very early on that it's important to, for you to understand what's really happening to people when they're sent into situations like this. Uh, I was the first one, well, I was the second one to graduate from high school. All the rest of them didn't get to graduate from high school. Ruth was the first. I was the second. I was the first to go to college. <laughs> Out of 15. That's pretty amazing. Out of 15. Amazing. And I know that, I, I, I mean this in a loving way, but the gardens people in my school, Newton High School in, in Massachusetts, they, I think they 
they, they really want to give advice, and they do it, give advice on the basis of what they think they know about you. Mm-hmm. And, of course, what they know about my family is they don't finish school, and it would be easy. Anyhow, when I said to the guidance counselor I wanted to go to college, she said, Why? <laughs> you, can learn to, you can learn how to do the job your dad does and make, good, make a good living. I said, No, I want to go to college. And then she said, what do you want to major in? I said, let me think. I think probably English or literature. What? She said, no, well, you've got math grades that are very good. You should become an accountant. <laughs> and I said, I, mean, I, th- I said to myself, if anybody really was to say to me, what would you do if you didn't have to work? I would say, sing. <laughs> That's what I would do with my life. I would be in front of people singing, getting a reaction. Now imagine me as an accountant. I would not make a very good accountant, probably. Anyhow, I did well enough in school to be able to get the scholarship, and I went on my first year to Newton Junior College for one year. Because I could afford it because I had that scholarship. But the second and through the fifth year were at Northeastern University. I would say Northeastern University was just extraordinary. Because it was a co-op, organs, uh, co-op school. Um, and that means you there have two classes, the A group and the B group. And one's at school while the other's at work. And the other, when that when that one comes back to school, they obviously the the first the other group goes goes to work. And so I was able to I when I graduated from undergraduate education, I I had money in the bank. Wow! <laughs> but in my family, we were all taught to work. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like you you understand about. The, the the doing part of life, which is the work part of life, gets and it was all it just all seemed necessary and it seemed reasonable to me that I had a paper route. I got four dollars and fifty cents for the week. We all got together at the kitchen table on a Saturday and put our money on the table. <laughs> And my mother would go through with what she had in terms of bills, and we would get whatever was available. And, it, and I never thought, That's, this is weird. <laughs> I just earned that. Don't I get to keep it? Oh, the answer oh is you get to keep as much as you can have after we do with, ever, with other things. So in, in any event, she taught me how to do a goal. Mm-hmm. I when I I had a I had a um, paper route as I mentioned, and I remember saying to her one day, if I had a bicycle, my paper route would be a whole lot easier to do. <laughs> she said, "What a wonderful goal!" <laughs> <laughs> and I said, "Well, but." What do I do? She said, if you set that goal, you get 50 cents each week pretty much guaranteed. It, that, then that was a lot of money. Or, that, that's what you kept from what that, you earned. That's what I 50 kept. 50 cents, okay. I kept the 50 cents. 
And so I started saving the quarters. <laughs> and when I had enough quarters I have saved up, I paid and bought a used bicycle for $20. And that was then how I learned how to set goals. And I thought, that's a good thing to do. Yes. I mean, what a skill that your mother taught you. And it's still amazing to me because her education was a fourth grade education. Yeah. But she knew how to teach you well and set you up for success for life. Yeah. Starting with something as simple as instead of saying, okay, well, we'll go out and buy you a bicycle. No, it was, so how right. are you going to go about getting that bicycle? Right. What a gift. Then I, uh, it, 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 at that time, I was on my way to college, and Northeastern University was just perfect for me because it was possible to be able to do your, do your working at the same time as you need to go get ready for the next term. When I graduated from Northeastern University with my degree in English and philosophy, (laughs) somewhere along the line I decided I would like to do that too. So that was fun. And that's all contributed to my take on life which is part of what we do has to be doing something for others, basically. So I went to work at what was then a very, very, very fine company, and that's Polaroid. Hardly anybody knows about Polaroid anymore, but that was at the time when their cameras were really, really doing very well. And I was a personnel assistant. Mm. (laughs) I, 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 one of the one of the uh, the areas in the company that I had responsibility for doing recruiting for was the lab laboratory and all of the technical engineering group. Uh, so I would do a lot of college recruiting while I was working at Polaroid, but I. Found myself thinking after about four years, this, this this is as good as it gets. I'm really wanting to work for myself at some point. Mm. I I don't think that this is this is what's going to be right for me. So I went to work at General Electric in Lynn, Massachusetts. Small jet engines is what they made, and they're basically for helicopters. I was just sort of settling into that job after a year and feeling, oh, wow, this is a pretty large company. I don't think anybody would know that I was dead if (laughs) (laughs) with all the stuff that was going on. But, you know, that's probably a bit facetious. Um, But I got a call from a wonderful, wonderful woman by the name of Viola Saltmarsh, who was the placement director at Tufts University. Tufts University was one of the universities that I had recruited at. And she wanted, wanted to know, would I be interested in being the placement director at Tufts? Wow. I, I, after the, I got my breath back, 
I said, well, I, I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was unbelievable. So I went to work at Tufts University as the placement director. I learned a lot about what happens as people are graduating from school trying to figure out what's that job that they they're going to get and how are they going to get get that job (laughs) sometimes i found it very very humorous because they had an engineer that came down and said he wanted to find some information about xerox yeah and you know we had material for the each company in in the uh, file cabinets and i said how that's unusual i think we have a lot of material well, there's nothing there under Z. Oh. <laughs> so I, I said, all right, so you're an engineer. Well, we're establishing <laughs> that. We, we can establish that. Uh, about two years into my stay at, uh, at Tufts, was that we got the, the federal law, Equal Opportunity law. And that was 1964, I believe. And they were coming around to all universities because universities were a were the recipients of a lot of government money. Federal government get research money. And so Tufts was ready to have them come and it was after they had been to uh, MIT and Harvard. Harvard didn't want to go, didn't want to go through the process of getting other people connecting to this university to the university, accepting those that make it, it through the tests. That the tests he wanted to be able to have the higher higher level students. By the way, learning how to that learning to know something doesn't mean you can do something with it. And when True. you go to work, you only get paid for what you do. Good point. <laughs> in any event, uh, I went to the I went to the president of the university and said, "Look, everybody else seems to be con- conducting this in a fashion that is looks like you're against it." You can't look like you're against it because it's a part of the law of the land. Affirmative action is part of our life. So all we have to do is put all of our information together and be able to show them right now what it looks like, what the, what the, what the, the student body looks like here now, and that there's an intention to do something about making it look more like the group that lives in the in the area, but also in the in the nation, they they didn't take very long to listen to this because they said they would do that, and we we went through a lot of time on on a, on a Honeywell twelve hundred computer, which <laughs> is which my my MacBook Air here would be able to do about. 
300 times what that thing was doing with 80 column cards and all the rest of it. We had we were setting that whole thing up. We never had that in, in payroll. We just just had a payroll. <laughs> in, oh. in, in, as a matter of fact, and, and HR was mostly responsible for just the payroll. And we were we put together all the information about where we are and what we will be doing over the course of the next year. And we also had someone come in who was going to do a very, very good job, as it turns out, providing an understanding about what needs to be done. In other words, we had an affirmative action officer. Oh. Yeah. That's progressive. Well, she was black, and she did some really, really good work at Tufts University. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, I have to say that they were very open to all the things that needed to be done. That's a wonderful place to work then, back yeah, then, they, you know. Yeah, they, uh, they weren't super, fighting it. Super place. Um, I, it, oh, by the way, in the middle of all of this, I also was getting a master's degree at Tufts while I was there. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so I got my You're master's degree. Well, I took a couple of courses in, in uh, business management. And after after having worked where I worked before, I, I kept thinking these are not very difficult things. I'm learning. I want to do something with it. So I took a degree in in counseling. Huh? So you did that was, at night. I did that. Yeah, I worked that into what time I had available to be able to do it, and that was very good. Then the university didn't charge me anything. That's nice. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's great. It's a great benefit. Yeah, well, that that's basically what happened. So we went to, after Tufts. I had to go to I had to go to work at another place. Uh, so I ended up at New England Resource Center for Occupational Education. So that gave me more a background in what are people being taught to be able to mm. have some kind of plan. And then I went from there to Leahy Clinic, which was sort of like, it's a group of doctors. was in Boston, Leahy Clinic Foundation. Okay. And uh, I learned a lot about that. And I went to UMass Medical Center, where I was the the, uh, personnel HR director. And then I started my own business. Well, you had so much knowledge by that time. I mean, oh, just yeah. it's amazing how many different things you did and what you would have experienced and learned to take with you. Well, the thing that I did read at that time was I, I set a goal to be able to be on my own working at age 40. And I had to do several things to make that happen. For example, I had to go and find out and to begin to, to give talks to people about performance management, which is my subject. And I gave speeches to the New England Hospital Association. <laughs> and they were very good. Then I started teaching HR and performance management at universities. 
On the, on the East Coast, those are called lifelong learning environments. Uh, on the West Coast, it's called an extension study. Yeah, out here, extension, yes. Yeah. Well, I did it at Northeastern. I did it at Tufts. I did it at uh, Yale. I did it at Columbia, Harvard. I, while I was, I was out there, I, it was a very good, very good opportunity. When I came to, to uh, California, I started doing that at UCSD and UC Irvine and UC Santa Barbara. I mean, it's not Santa Barbara, uh, San Jose. So okay. that's in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> a big nutshell. Yeah, that's how you got. That's how you got your your background. That's right. And then you were able to take that and apply that to this whole business, right? And um, learn so much about the human side of going through careers and and finding your direction, where you want to go next. And you know, if you weren't a good fit, like for example, if you couldn't spell Xerox. Maybe that wasn't your calling in life. <laughs> Maybe teaching wasn't there for you. But so, when did you write a book? Because you wrote a book called "Ecopreneuring: Managing for Results." When did that book fit into your career? That was in 1990. 1990. Uh, it basically as a book designed to help people understand not just how to manage in a small company but to how to be employed or be an employee of a small company. By small company, I mean under like 150 employees. Okay. Although, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of small companies around. When I, when I actually published the book by Scott Forsman, Peter Economy from San Diego wrote a wonderful a note on the back of the book. Can I tell you? Can I read yes, it too? Yes. At last, a book written for someone in a small to medium-sized company. It seems that most of the business books I notice assume that either the reader currently works at a large multi-multinational or aspires to join one and the earliest possible opportunity. I have business associates who are having problems dealing with growing pains of a small business. They would appreciate this book. And Peter is, was the director of administration at Horizon Technology in San Diego. Hmm. So that gives you an idea about the book and why, why I, where I focused the book. Yeah, there was a need. Yeah. For that, because I think a lot of people, maybe it's a Southern California thing, but a lot of people, it seems like, work for big, big companies. And not even Southern California, but all California. You know, you work yeah. for Google, or you work for Qualcomm, or you work right. for Viasat. You know, there's really big companies. But as you've pointed out many times, a lot of people work for, the majority of people work for smaller companies. Right. And you need to know how to get by in those yeah, companies. Right. Yeah. So you, so you brought that information, and then you started a business. Like, so let's make it clear. You haven't retired. No. You've never retired. I don't intend to retire. 
do you want to share how old you are? I'm 82. 82. And you've never retired. because, no. and And you have a goal. You have yeah. a life's goal that you're still working toward. Yes, that goal was set, put together uh, 25, 30 years ago, which is to have a significant positive impact on the way people are, have, uh, conduct their career. And that's something that affects so many people and so yeah. many people need. So you so, can't be done because... There's still right. people who right. need that significant positive impact. Well, not only here, but in other countries. Mm. So, I mean, the, the, it's true here. Uh, I'm, I, I've been, I, I'm being urged by some people to update the book. Mm. And on uh, me, there's nothing in the book that isn't true today. That was wasn't true. That was true then. Mm-hmm. It's the, still the same here. So there's nothing that you feel needs to be added to it. Yeah, it probably looks a little like a like a book that was written in one nineteen ninety. Mm, okay, but everything that's in there is still pretty much the same. Very valuable same. today. Yeah, to anybody who's working today. Yeah. yeah. Um. One thing I wanted to ask you about, because you've talked about this before, is defining the term success. You yeah. have an unusual definition, and it's really a beautiful definition. I, I use this definition because it means you can be successful now. Success is the progressive realization of worthy goals. And I say worthy goals because Hitler had a goal to do things. You know? <laughs> so I should be worthy. Worthy's Some, good. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you know. Um, success is the progressive realization of a worthy goal, which means every time this week that I do something that forwards toward that, that's successful. Mm-hmm. Or else, I have to only feel successful once I reach that. And then uh, the way I, the way I wrote the goal, sounds as though it's never going to be met anyhow. But you feel successful every day because you are working towards that. Yeah. Right yeah. now, I'm. Yeah. Yeah, I think people need that. They need to feel like they're being successful as they're going along. It's not just this far, far off. Right. point that you know maybe you'll get to someday but every day that you're making a step up the mountain you're successful all right yeah i really like that um as you went out and started building your career and yeah. selling yourself basically and your what you're doing how did you establish your expertise with well people? i i had an expertise developed with all the all the companies that I worked with with for in the area of performance management, and so I decided that that was going to be my expertise. And I, I, th- I think I can, I can honestly say I'm an expert at it. That's 
uh, that's what I sold. And my clientele came from my last clientele, mm. by and large. This all started in, in when I was in Massachusetts, and I had clients, a lot of clients in that area. And when we moved out here, in the late 80, 1980s, I had nobody that I was te- teaching, so mm-hmm. I kept going back and forth a lot. I put two and a half million miles on American oh, Airline. Wow, <laughs> in, in a few years. And uh, that's because I was actually working with people back there. Mm-hmm. I had one company that I was working with when they were making, well, I don't think $40 million or something a year. Now, then, and when I left, they were probably doing a billion dollars a year. So it was during the time when there was a lot of growth in that business. And he's one of the people who wrote something from my book that, that, that liked a lot about what I did. So he kept me around for about 25 years. I can see why. <laughs> As a you consultant. Helped him get really big. <laughs> so, uh, and, and some of, some of my clients came from the work that I was doing at schools, teaching at universities. I was teaching people in the extension. These were, by and large, people working in HR. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or else they wouldn't be taking the course. That makes sense. And so yeah. the people who are taking HR, and they're they're hearing new ways of doing things, new ways of approaching something. They obviously talked about them back at their office. So that that also led to a certain number of, of employers. And what are you doing now? Because you're not doing that now. So what are you working on right now? You have a new product. Yeah, it's called a it's a SaaS program software as a service mm. s a a s it's where it, we i have two of them one of them is called my arts journal and we i have i think three patents off of that one might be just two i don't i don't remember these things very well anyhow i have patents for that and the one that i'm working on right now is Career Online Coach. It basically teaches to use fundamental tools to organize thinking about yourself. Not it doesn't it doesn't put you through some kind of exercise that tells you that you you're sort of like Bill Gates. You have you have this kind of thing about you. No, it just helps people organize what they want in a job, what values they have, what, uh, what uh, kind of attributes they have, what kind of successes they've had, what skills they have, and then helps people set goals to reaching that. That's all in the first, the first phase of this program. There are other phases. Yet to come. Yeah. Yeah, but that seems like a tool that would be really helpful to people right now. Um, for people who are older, it's, it's not uncommon to be laid off in your 50s. And then right. especially now during the pandemic, that happened to a lot of people. They've been laid off, and now they have to figure out 
how they're going to get to their next phase and work right. uh, to support themselves or just because they want to keep working. And they might really appreciate something like this where it's about, well, so how am I going to get there from here? How am I going to set those goals? And what is it that I really do want? And what skills do I have to take forward? That would be something that would be beneficial to millions of people, I would think, at this time. And ultimately to companies. To companies as well, yeah. Yeah. So this will be available soon to people, correct? I've talked to the technical people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They've been doing a wonderful job of putting it together. Uh, I've talked to them, and I've I've said that we have a deadline of the 10th of this month. That's perfect, because we're recording this on September 2nd, but by the time this actually gets released into podcast land, uh, that should be live then for people. And so I'll be able to put the notes down in this show saying, here's where you can get access to Career Online Coach. That's good. Thank you. Yeah, I think it's good. Um, Do you have any advice for people? Who are nearing retirement or have retired? I, I, <laughs> it's glib. But my sense is that people who retire without something that they are doing, without some kind of plan, they die. Mm. I, 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 I think it got to come up and get up in the morning and have something to do. With that time, so I think basically it's very important for people to have goals for their entire life. Yeah, there's studies that back up what you're saying for sure. Really? You have to have yes, you have to have a reason that yeah. you are still here. Otherwise, your body starts to have problems, and it, right, you know, you may not die in two days, but you you're it's hard on you. It's hard on you not to feel anchored. I guess right. to feel anchored to being here. So, yeah, and so what I would like to know is would you come back and do more podcasts with me that specifically talk about your skills in uh, how you could help people with some advice and solid knowledge from your years of experience about how to move forward because you have so much to share and I think it would be so beneficial to our listeners who are in that phase right now where they either have been laid off or they are nearing retirement but as you and I both agree, it's not good to just completely retire. So then what do you do? So if you could talk about then what do you do, I think that'd be beneficial. Yeah, actually, it's a, it's a matter of having tools for people. You know, if you say to somebody, well, while you're doing that, you should be building a house. Well, if you haven't got a ham and saw, hammer and saw, <laughs> you can't do that. It makes it rather <laughs> difficult, yeah. You can't do that. You got to do, you got to know what it is. That well, that's just just to make one point in Power Shift, written by Alvin Toffler. Mm-hmm. It's a third of his three three books. He said that in companies that inf- that information was becoming the power, having information as opposed to having the doing and having actions and having th- things that you manufacture. What you do, for example, it isn't significant that really that Amazon has a lot of trucks on the road because it gets stuff to you pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It's that it knows where that is all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it no, it it's it's and it tells you where it is all the time. Then when they, you you get it delivered, they get pic, pictures of it to say where they dropped it off. You know, any company that understands about power understands that you gotta you gotta have a lot of power if you're. If you're going to have the power, you'll need much, much more information. Hmm. Well, the same thing is true with individuals. Without individuals knowing certain things about themselves that they can tell to other people, it doesn't work. The big, the big issue for most people is solving the problem A plus B equals C. If A is me... B is my options, and C is my choices. Most people are going through life looking at their options, making choices to find themselves. Once you've explored who you are, what you want, what you need, what you value, you can then look at the options (laughs) and make better choices. (laughs) Yeah, it opens up and streamlines what you're doing. Right. So you can be more efficient. Right. Instead of floundering. What am right. I supposed to do? Yeah. Well, actually, that was not a bad way to do it 40, 50 years ago. There were only a few jobs mm. that could have. Now, there's all kinds of opportunities. It's true. And there's so many entrepreneurial choices, too, which I'm yeah. a big proponent of for older people, is to be able yeah. to design your own your yeah. own ship, you'll be happy, I think. But right. um, yeah, if you would come back and talk to everybody about that, I think we can just get a lot of knowledge out of you and help a lot of people. I've been delighted. That'd be great. So um, I'm going to put all these things in here, even the books that you mentioned. I'm going to put those in the show notes so people can find them and the link to your book as well. And so uh, you be uh, when you are listening here and you want to find the information, you'll be looking for Richard Blue and his different products out there and the different links. I think you'll get a lot out of it if you are somebody who's currently searching right now. So Richard Blue, Dick Blue, my friend, thank you so much for your time today and for grappling with the technology issues that we were struggling with in the very beginning of this. But I thank you so much for your time and for sharing with me as you do every week, all of your knowledge and experience. I really appreciate it so much. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to this latest version of Pivot and Thrive. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you have some things to take away, some thoughts that you can use to apply towards bettering your own retirement. Do you need any help with your retirement, whether you have started or if it's something that's in your rearview mirror? I'm happy to help you out. I am a certified retirement coach, and I'd love to talk to you about how to make your experience in retirement more meaningful and fulfilling for you on a daily basis. Do you know anybody you think I should be interviewing on this podcast? If you know someone who's really hitting it out of the park in their retirement years or they've had to overcome some particularly interesting challenges to get where they are at this point in their lives, I'd love to talk to them. You can contact me on the homepage of my website. Scroll all the way down to the bottom where it says contact me and that's how you can get me the information. The address for my website is retirementpurposecoach.com. 
I'd like to extend a special thank you to Bokuwa and Wizzy2K for allowing me to use their song, Will You Stay With Me? And the link for that song is in the show notes of this podcast. You could go look them up. They've got some really great music. This has been Kim Shea with Pivot and Thrive, and thank you for spending your time with me. I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Be sure to live your life with purpose every day, and you'll find that you're much happier. Because of you, because of you.